The Dance of Gods, Book One, Spell of Catastrophe, written and read by Mayor Alan Brenner. Chapter Eleven, The Curse of the Creeping Sword. I am Oskin Yale, he said. The dark figure in the dark cloak, its hood thrown back across his shoulders, looked slowly and deliberately around the room, fixing each person there with his glare. The currents of the black aura pulsed and wove in the air like spun smoke. He didn't gaze upward through the palm tree at me, in fact, seemed not to recognize my presence, and I kept very still, wishing I could even stop breathing. A heavy gold ring glittered on the middle finger of his left hand. The ring, in fact, made me think of the eye of a hurricane. The eddies and twirls of the mist seemed to circle around it, looping, streaming, billowing about in swirling coils. Somehow, in a strange way I didn't understand, that black swirling aura seemed more bound to the ring than to the rest of Oskin Yale himself. I didn't care how this insight had gotten into my memory, whether I was tapping the outskirts of Gash's mind or what. I was just trying to ransack whatever I did know as quickly as I could. Me, I couldn't see an aura if it smashed me in the nose, and even if I could see it, I wouldn't know what it was. But since Gash had pushed me into this mess in the first place, I had no qualms about using his knowledge to help me get out of it. Get me out of it alive, that is. A remark that, all of a sudden, had a lot more gut meaning than it had ever pulled up before. Even in a time and place where the gods are real personages, and they show up on Earth in the flesh to give people trouble directly without intermediary, you've got to make a distinction between the actual and the mythic, not everything you can think of is real, even if a lot of weird things happen to be. I'd always thought death was a concept and a state, not an independent entity. Unfortunately, based on the information my mind was now finding hidden in its files, that impression had been seriously wrong. I mentioned before that human magicians aren't all the same. They're differentiated by specialty, the way they handle energy, their ethical orientation toward the use of magic, all kinds of distinctions. Gods specialize, too. I picked that up before, but I hadn't realized how far the differences went. The answer was pretty far, and the deaths were a perfect case in point. Something there was never a shortage of were deaths, and nobody ever liked to waste a ready source of power. That was really the key. When a living creature died, its decay to the state of death released energy. The gods who were death could tap and absorb this death power. Pain, injury, slow dying or fast, they all gave off this energy, and some death was usually around to take advantage of it. If passive absorption was the whole story, who really cared? Lots of phenomena are more ghoulish than that. Unfortunately, that wasn't all, of course. It was only a small step from taking advantage of death to causing death and just a little bit further to having some control over it, too. And once you could control death, well, you could control a lot of life, too, couldn't you? The upshot was that even the rest of the community of gods treated the deaths with respect, or if not respect, at least caution. Nobody I'd heard of knew exactly how many gods there were. Estimates tended to range from twenty or thirty up to a few hundred. If Gash knew, his aura wasn't telling, and the number probably varied anyway. That didn't matter. 
What might be important to me was the number of deaths, maybe a dozen. They weren't all equal. What the pecking order was, Gash didn't know, except that there was one big boss over the rest. I doubted if this Yale was the death supreme himself. I couldn't quite see the death's death slumming around with a bunch of pipsqueak mortals, but frankly I didn't think it would matter much whether this was really the man or just an underling. Either way, we were talking serious big-time trouble, and there I lay on the roof over his head without the slightest idea of what to do about it. Hoskin Yale finally fixed his gaze back on Carl Lake. Yale looked male enough in aspect, although for all I knew that was just a matter of affectation. These are the best ones in your city, Hoskin Yale said. These are the only ones in the city, Carl said. You said you... I know what I said. Yale walked out into the room, and as the angle changed, I saw that he was wearing a black eye patch over his left eye. He fingered it with his hand, the hand with the ring. When the ring passed near the patch, the covering over his eye seemed to grow slightly transparent, with the ghostly shadow of skin and eye socket and swollen tissue seen dimly behind it. He lowered the hand, and the image faded. My own right hand was quivering. I glanced down at it. The walking stick had begun to vibrate, and if I listened closely I could hear a low whine. A shock stabbed up through my palm. Shut up, I hissed at it, trying not to vocalize. They'll give us away. The nebulous image of the sword was now visible around the stick, twirling and churning. I'll call you when I need you, I added. Reluctantly, the shape faded and the wine died, but my hand still felt like it was clutching something alive, like maybe the tail of a large, impatient jungle cat. Carl Lake had turned to follow the death as he'd moved. Oscar Yale scrutinized him. "'Your friend Lake has assured me you are all reasonably intelligent,' he said, still eyeing Carl but speaking now to the frozen crowd. If that is true, you will have realized that resistance would be impractical. It will also not have escaped notice that your active collaboration with me could benefit you significantly. Observe Lake, now considering a new career in gymnastics and contortions. Indeed, yes, Master, Carl Lake said. My leg. He flexed it, raising it to his chest, then did a knee bend. Oskin Yale frowned. The demonstration is appropriate. That master business is not. I told you I'm looking for responsible assistance, not toadies. Carl gave a quick nod and bow, probably to disguise how white his face had suddenly gone. As you wish it. Indeed, Yale said. Yes. As you will also have suspected, your Rusing Uvaya represents the first in a series of steps I intend to take. I will need deputies of power and knowledge to stand with me. Their power will increase, and they will grow in stature, becoming aides, viceroys, governors. Perhaps... He paused, turned, and looked around the faces again. Perhaps... even more. Huh? I thought. It really was my own mind thinking for a change. The whole world had heard legends about people who became gods, long ago and on some other continent, but it had never happened to anybody anyone knew. If what Oskin Yale was implying was true, though, it was possible, and he could arrange it. 
Even if they didn't know he was a god, they might think he was powerful enough to do it. On the other hand, he could just be using the hint as sucker bait. But I knew his audience, and I knew that with that one tantalizing insinuation, he'd caught some of them. I could burst through the roof with the temperamental sword whirling and try to cut Oskin Yale down before he had the chance to blast me. If I was going to try that, I'd have to hope for a hand from the crowd, and at the moment I thought some of them would rather side with him over me. The best I could hope for under that scenario would be the magicians fighting among themselves. It was also possible that even a distracted Yale wouldn't drop his hold on them, and might even decide to drain one or two magicians for their quick energy fix. I could throw the sword and maybe manage to skewer him. I could also just keep on watching. If he left, I might be able to trail him home and take him by surprise, away from potential allies. Don't worry, I told the sword, suddenly restive again. I'll feed you, I'll feed you. Be patient. On the other hand, Askinyali went on, there is another potential way to proceed. I can simply crush and absorb you. Any one of you. His one-eyed gaze settled on a small man on the settee. I didn't know him. You, perhaps. The black aura intensified around the guy, seemed to settle into his skin. His eyes opened wide, and the eyeballs rolled up behind his lids. Cords stood out in his exposed throat, and without making a sound, he began to shrink inward like a collapsing wineskin. He turned sideways and slid to the floor, his muscles limp and diminishing. The colors of his own aura appeared, flowing out of his skin like shattering shards of glass, colors glinting and gone as they disappeared into the black. At the right limit of my vision, half hidden behind a palm frond, I glimpsed a sudden quiver of motion. One of the other magicians, in back of Oskin Yale, was raising an arm. I couldn't see who it was, only the slowly lifting arm, but I did abruptly see that the misty black coating on that side of the room had decreased, probably with Oskin Yale's diversion of effort. The walking stick started to hum. No, I thought of it, and then another idea I hadn't considered popped into my mind. Let's try this one, Monach. How had I done whatever I'd done before in the jail cage? Collapse, I thought, concentrating on the floor of the solarium. The guy next to the settee now resembled a rotten gourd with the insides being sucked out of it. Collapse! Come on here, I muttered at the sword. Give me a hand. The arm of the magician behind the palm tree was gradually coming into line with Oskin Yali's back. I didn't know if the sword understood what I was trying, and had my doubts whether it could help even if it did, but for some reason my projected concentration began to sharpen and gain force, like an image through a spyglass brought suddenly into focus. Collapse, I thought. My whole mind wrapped around the reality of the boards peeling back beneath Yale's feet to fling him deep down into the earth. Askin Yale's black aura had intensified with the transfusion of fresh energy, and the ring on his hand was glowing. He smacked his lips, then kicked the shrunken heap on the floor. That is the alternative, he said in a conversational tone. I give you all your own free choice. Join me, or... Green lines had begun to form around the outstretched hand of the magician behind Oskin Yale. Oskin Yale, still talking, had started to turn. Abruptly he froze, his brow furrowed. He looked up to scrutinize the ceiling. 
his gaze tracking across the solarium hides toward my eyehole behind the palm tree. The tracers of green in the magician's hand grew together. I thought, collapse, goddammit, as vividly as I could, and the building shuddered. Below, in the solarium, a lamp on an ornate pedestal tipped over, spraying burning oil across the far wall. Hoskin Yali took one step. The floor snapped up and hit his descending foot, and he dropped to one knee. Part of the roof right behind me fell in. A fiery green construct that looked like a set of flying meat hooks with smoke coming out of the back zoomed over Oskinyale's head, banked just shy of the wall, and headed up round for another pass. The building was groaning with the sound of grinding wood and disintegrating joints, but the crowd in the room was still silent. Then the roof bounced again like someone had walloped the house with part of a small mountain, and as I looked back over my shoulder, I was just in time to see the back of the building behind me, the one a floor taller than Carl Lake's, detach itself from the rest of the structure, pause in midair, and surge toward me to collapse with full force against the house I was on. A chimney hurtled over my head and plowed through the solarium's hide roof. The hide ripped, a section of the canvas that had burst out in flames from the spilled lamp oil fell away over the side of the wall, and the whole building started to reel out over the street of fresh breeze. I spread myself flat and clutched at the surface. Cries and pandemonium arose abruptly from the wreckage of the solarium. Oskin Yale had finally been distracted enough to relinquish his hold on the other magicians. The green meat hook again rose into view, looking tattered, started to dive back through the gaping hole in the roof, then halted indecisively. All at once it turned and headed straight for me. I rolled on my side, brought up the walking stick, trying to say Gash's magic word the right way, and swung at the diving construct. The stick, refusing to change, merely waved in its direction. I threw myself onto my back, and the hooks zoomed past my belly, gnashing angrily. I was pretty angry myself. The roof beyond my feet abruptly caved in. I started sliding down the folding roof toward the hole as the green meat hook finished its turn and pointed itself at me again. I snapped at the disguised sword yet another time, but this time it listened. The walking stick melted its shape and burst into flame. My arm holding it tried to turn itself inside out. I flopped awkwardly to my left, propelled by the sword's strange momentum, and at the last possible instant the blade of the sword danced out and passed straight through the twin green shafts holding the sharp meat cleaver spikes. The severed points shot off in diverging trajectories out of my sight like miniature javelins. The rear section, trailing lime-colored smoke, passed over my head and buried itself in a pile of broken boards, and the sword, now unleashed and hunting for more trouble, flung me away from the widening hole in the roof and toward the edge of the solarium. Carl Lake's house, and the deliberate process of turning itself into a pile of scrap lumber, lurched again and staggered further toward the street. One whole wall was now on fire. Ahead of me, in the wreckage of the solarium, roars, hisses, small explosions in the air, and sprays of multicolored light indicated that the local magicians were squaring off against someone, and potentially against each other, too. In the second I had before hurtling over the edge of the roof to join them, straining to wrestle the sword down and say the word to deactivate it, I did manage to catch a glimpse of a neat rain shower condensing out of the air over the fire. That seemed a sign that Flora was okay anyway. He talked to I, I gasped. The sword, which seemed to be getting crabbier every time we did this, began to change back, and I hit the lip of the roof on a line running across my lower ribs. My arm, flailing the walking stick, came around in a fast arc under the force of my fall. 
chest and arms and head were sticking out over the wrecked solarium, looking down at the dented palm tree leaning against the wall, I scrabbled with my free hand and fended off with the stick, and then, just as I had decided I'd actually managed to retain my balance, I spotted a crumpled form, its hands clasped over its head, huddled in the space underneath the tree. I cast a quick glance around the room. The husk-like body of the magician Oskin Yale had used for his demonstration had rolled against the burning wall and was starting to char. The front wall was largely gone. The last of the other magicians were lowering themselves through the splintered holes down the rubble into the street. I spotted Flora helping a man with a bloody head and a twisted arm, decided not to bother her, and instead carefully swung the rest of my body over the edge of the roof and dropped past the palm tree to the interior floor. I bent down to examine the huddled figure. As I'd expected, he was pretty much undamaged. He'd only been hiding. "'Hi, Carl,' I said. He lifted one arm and rolled his eye up. "'You,' he said. "'You perhaps may be wondering why I did certain things.' "'No,' I said. "'I'm not.' I grabbed him by the back of the collar and pulled him to his feet, the new bruises across my ribs and along my sides sending out sharp throbs of disapproval. I think I understand real well why you did what you did. You did real good for yourself, getting your leg fixed, and everybody has to look out for himself first, right? And how could you have known you wouldn't end up running the city? And anyway, you didn't actually get me killed yet, even if I did lose a perfectly good sword. You don't hate me. Just because you were on a different side than me? Nah, how could I hate you when you're about to help me out? He rubbed his bottle brush eyebrows. Hmm, indeed, he said. Ha, huh. ha, I said, ha. Huh. The building shook again. The floor, which already had about a 15-degree tilt toward the street, settled some more. Where's your friend Yale? He has left. I figured that out already. I want to know where he went. We were next to the door Oskin Yale had originally entered through, under my observation spot. The door was closed, but the frame had partially caved in around it, and the top panel of the door was mostly splintered board. I kicked at the doorknob with the heel of my foot. On the second try, the doorknob tore through and the door smashed open. The hinges came loose from the jam, and the whole door crashed noisily into the next room. I still had Carl by the neck, and now I dragged him with me through the empty door frame. We clambered over a fall of rubble, which was the section of roof that had fallen in next to me moments before, and then, just behind us, the ceiling creaked, the creek grew into a rumble, and the rest of the roof came down as well. The door I'd removed must have been all that was holding it up. At the end of the room, the side wall had fallen into the alley. The largest drop from one major clump of debris to the next was now no more than a few feet. So when I pushed Carl through the wall ahead of me, I figured he couldn't hurt himself that badly, especially not with his new leg and all. I made it down faster than him, gritting my teeth against my assortment of aches, so I had plenty of time to get him by the neck again before he decided to take off. I may not have hated him, but I sure didn't trust him either. I figured he might not be too happy himself about leading me to Oskin Yale's hideout. Me, I could hardly even believe I was considering what I seemed to have in mind. Unless Gashana Tantra showed up unexpectedly, though, the ball was still in my court, and the only way I might get it out was to keep moving. It was dark, so I couldn't see his face, but I didn't have to. You must be insane, he said when I told him what he was going to do. To go deliberately to seek out Oskin Yale? 
Insane, certainly insane, certifiably insane. You're probably right, I said, but don't let that part concern you. If you have to, think about the terrible things crazy people are apt to do. What, you will kill me? How could that be more terrible than the wrath of Oskin Yale? Oskin Yale'd have to catch you. Me, I've already got you. Ah, Carl said. With what will you kill me? You said you have no sword. My bare hands will do if they have to, but I've got something easier. You see this? I waved the walking stick in front of his face. Indeed, yes, a basic staff. Carl sounded less than impressed, but the chuckle he was starting didn't last more than half a second. The stick began to whine. As Carl looked around for the source, it added a pulsing glow, too, picking up its cue to the hilt. I still didn't know how smart the sword was, but it did show a sharp instinct for betting on where a meal might come from. Ah, hmm, Carl said. Yeah, you should see it when it's not in disguise. I think it likes you. Of course, it's been getting pretty hungry. A spark leapt across and hit Carl on the nose. I said I'd lost that sword. I didn't say anything about this one. So, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes, I believe so. You can calm that down? Sure, I said. No problem. Now, let's go. A buzzing crowd had gathered in the street of fresh breeze in front of the demolished building and its neighbors, which weren't in much better shape. I had a feeling the crowd wouldn't be too pleased to greet either one of us at the moment, so I led Carl down through the alleys and out the other side of the block, still feeling an occasional crash and shudder in the ground from behind us. We gained the street, and Carl led north. "'What happened in there?' I said. I was finally taking the chance to catch my breath. That had been an intense couple of minutes there. "'For how long did you watch?' "'From the beginning of the meeting. You did say I'd be invited, after all.' "'Hmm, yes. Then you must have witnessed the attack on Oskinale. The guy with the green meat hook, yeah.' Not him alone, Carl rubbed his eyebrow. The tremor, the devastation, the ruination of my house, this too is an attack. But by whom? You mean you don't know? I thought you knew everybody you'd invited. None of the people in attendance has this class of manifestation among their known skills. It is most curious. You have not recently taken to magic, have you? Me? I said, with what I hoped was not a guilty start. Ha! What a thought! Hmm, no, no, of course not. Indeed, the emanations were very peculiar, unlike most anything I have encountered. Those emanations were unlike those of anyone in the vicinity except Oskin Yale, I bet, unless there was yet another god lurking around I hadn't met yet. We were still winding our way north. The curfew was up, so we were whispering and sticking to the shadows, not that there had been any hint of trouble. Maybe the guard had picked up Oskin Yale on his way home, ha-ha. <laughs> I was keeping a close eye on Carl's hands, but even with his recent practice, his magic wasn't heavy on anti-personnel skills. Like I said, that's how the muggers had been able to get him the first time we'd met. How much further, I said. A faint shriek rang in the air from somewhere up ahead, maybe ten blocks. Suddenly it stopped. Carl had listened carefully. Approximately that distance, he told me. Thanks a lot. That'll put us almost to the north wall. That is correct. 
The area where we were heading wasn't particularly fashionable. The houses leaned out over the street on their own here, the pavement was more irregular when it wasn't completely dirt, and the streets were growing into narrow alleys. The streets also wove around more, pointing north and northwest and east. It wasn't the kind of neighborhood where big-time magicians usually liked to hang out. Just what's so great about this Yale character anyway, I asked Carl. He is a necromancer. That means something to you, yes? All right, yeah, necromancers are supposed to be hot stuff. Indeed, yes. So consider this. Even among necromancers, Oscanyale is very, very powerful. Okay, so he's very, very powerful. What else? That is not enough for you? Give up this silly quest. I've got a client who's even more insistent than your man Yale, I said. That's why I can't. He had been trying to lag for a while, and now he stopped in his tracks. But why? Why? Yes? What is one more client for you? Will the client kill you? Hmm? Drain from you the aura and crush you to a husk? But, Oskin Yale, both of us will surely die, and then the torment will have only begun. He will think the attack on him was my fault, that I had been false to him, and he will... Indeed, both of us will be lucky to merely die. I decided not to tell Carl that Oskin Yale wasn't merely a regular person-type necromancer either, at least not yet. Since he didn't seem to know, he seemed upset enough as it was. No, he won't. You'll convince him it wasn't you. Now, come on already, or I'll let you try pleading to the stick. He looked around at the walking stick, remembering what it had showed about itself before, and started moving again. Very well. Fatalistic I shall be. A few moments later, we drew up to another corner, and Carl put his hand up for me to stop. Carefully, he said, look here. I eased past him and poked an eye around the edge. The street where we were now hidden was definitely an alley, about four feet wide and filled with trash. The cross street was much wider, say fifteen feet or so across. It ran east and west, roughly, with a gradual turn north at each end of my view. A few aimless street lamps pushed back little clumps of night. The lamps were like twisted drunks in the dark, shrugging off the black like blows off ravaged shoulders. It was that sort of place. Across from me I could see a large vacant lot, overgrown with trees and shrubs and surrounded by a weathered block wall. Carl had pointed down the street to the right, so I looked in that direction. Next to the lot was a two-story building of the same stone as the wall. In fact, the wall continued around the building, too, its top glistening with spikes and jagged glass and sharp iron rods. The building was surrounded by pillars and ornate cornices. It sure hadn't started life as a house. Those walls were pretty thick. It looked more like a fortress. A former temple, Carl whispered behind me. The god, whose tract it was, fell from prominence some years ago. And now it was Oskanyale's headquarters. Going over the wall and in through an upper-story window, one of my favorite techniques, looked doubtful in this case. I was being forced into a decision I really didn't want to make. A quiet clattering off to my right turned into a small party of guard troopers. They approached the temple and stopped. The soldiers were looking around nervously and starting at nothing. I had the feeling they didn't like the neighborhood either. A door opened, spreading a quick fan of light across the street, and a man leaned out to hold a brief exchange with the guard leader. 
The new man was visible to me only in profile, except for a sigil on his tunic that caught the light. It was new to me, a twisty purple blob with fire coming out of it. The conversation ended, and the party went through into the temple. As they did, I could see that the two members of the group in the middle were dressed in simple street clothes, had swords poking at their backs, and hands that seemed bound. Two prisoners who wouldn't be coming out again any time soon, it looked like. Something was nagging me about that vacant lot next door. It was obviously part of the temple property because of the wall, but even in the darkness it didn't feel like a simple overgrown garden. I asked Carl. Certainly you realize that is the cemetery, yes? The cemetery, of course. Raw material for a necromancer. I really wanted to be somewhere else. Unfortunately, I wasn't. Carl, tell me about him. Oskinyali, he sighed. He is very powerful, but uh, already you realize that. He approached me first two, no, three days ago, demanding my allegiance. I knew little about him, excepting only his power, until your visit to me this morning. I told him your story of this barrier. He was surprised. He did not anticipate his work would become apparent at this time. Since this was evidently what was transpiring, he elected to strike against those who might spread the word. He doesn't want publicity. Manifestly so. Indeed, yes, this I will say. He is powerful, but often uncertain, insecure, as though his power is in some ways new to him. As before, at my unfortunate lodgings, the energies at his command could have devastated the block and all within it, yet at the crucial moment he elected to flee. He is a dangerous foe, and the more dangerous for his unpredictability, especially if he grows more decisive. I glanced around the corner again. The old temple was still there, and there wasn't a sign of Gash in sight. He wasn't going to bail me out. I faded back from the edge. Okay, I said to Carl. Thanks. That's very... I had been planning it, and I'd had to. Carl was still turning his head when I lay the walking strick hard across the back of it. He sank to the ground. I ripped pieces from his shirt and tied him before rolling him under one of the less offensive piles of garbage. Then I straightened, adjusted my clothing, forced my body to assume a confident, upright air I didn't feel at all, and crossed into the street. The wall around Yale's temple had a new door in it, barred and thick as the wall and ribbed with iron. I approached, looking neither to the right nor to the left, raised my arm, and struck the door with a stick. The door gave off a rolling hollow boom. After a moment, the small panel in the upper half slid back and an eye appeared. I am here to confer with Oskin Yale, I said. I was trying to make it sound like I had legitimate business every day with folks like Oskin Yale, but I didn't know how successful I was. I felt, in fact, like I was doing the dumbest thing I had ever come up with. The eye traveled down my body, then back up. Who is calling? The voice of the lackey asked. This was it. I rolled my own eye up and hoped for a reprieve. None descended. There was no way out. I steadied my voice and said, It is I, Gashana Tantra. Coming next, Chapter 12, Shaw and Mont, Go to Jail.